0: This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast.
1: We are your study buddies for neonatology topics.
0: I'm Dr. Ben Korsha.
1: And I'm Dr. Daphne Yesova-Barbeau.
0: Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Wednesday we are back. We're talking about EPO. We've talked about some of the mechanisms in which EPO functions, how EPO works. We talked about EPO for anemia. Today, we're talking about EPO for neuroprotection. Are you so
1: going for... to be able to keep it short?
0: Let me see. I hope so. Short, <laughs> I, listen, I'm going to be shorter than yesterday. <laughs> um, so why? Why EPO for neuroprotection? Um, as you're probably used to now, in this podcast, we often realize that a lot of the things being done in neonatology is inspired by what has been shown from other specialties. Okay. And so in this case, the idea to consider EPO for neuroprotection was inspired by a number of studies showing the neuroprotective and neurogenerative properties of EPO and ESAs in adult patients with a variety of diseases such as stroke, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, psychiatric illnesses. And so that really led... Uh, say hey maybe maybe it can be protective for infants so i think the discussion of neuroprotection is divided into two large topics Mm -hmm. neuroprotection for term infants with hie neuroprotection for preterm infants so since we were talking about preterm infants yesterday let's talk about them first So studies studying the effect of EPO to reduce blood transfusions were really the first to actually report neurodevelopmental outcome data, right? So Mm -hmm. this is where the discussion really began as to whether EPO could be neuroprotective. And there's an interesting study uh, that was published in 2010 by Neubauer and colleagues looked at 171 former ELBW infants. and evaluated them at age 10 to 13. They had about 90 infants treated with EPO, 57 with uh, placebo. And what they found was that 57, 55% of EPO-treated children developed normally. Uh, they had um, 39% uh, of infants um, compared to 39% of infants who developed normally in the control group. So a pretty big difference that was statistically Mm -hmm. significant. And that EPO-treated children with IVH scored significantly better than untreated children, 52% versus 6% of normally developed children. So this really um, is very encouraging. There's another interesting study that uh, I wanted to reference by Beer and colleagues who were really the first to publish observations regarding the association between EPO long-term outcomes and looking at actually the serum concentration. Um, and maybe that's why the study was so small, because they had to check EPO concentrations every two weeks for the duration of the study. <laughs> so I can see how that could be a limiting yeah. factor. Yeah. Um, this was the follow-up. This was a follow-up study of the NICHD trial that we mentioned yesterday. And it showed impressively how the mental, the mental index scores were greater in infants with higher epo serum concentration. And so we'll post this um we'll post this these these box graphs, right? Where you can see how certain certain serum concentrations give you better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Uh, Robin Oles and colleagues reported in 2014 on neurodevelopmental outcomes of very low birth weight infants enrolled uh, from 2006 to 2010, a total of 99 preterm infants um, weighing 500 to 1250, uh, 33 received EPO, uh, 33 received DARB and 33 received placebo. What they found was that the, on the Bailey, on the Bailey three, the composite the composite cognitive scores were higher in Darbypo. the The, the cognitive score was ninety six in Darbypo. In EPO, ninety seven compared with placebo, who had a cognitive score of eighty eight point seven. They uh, no none of the babies who received either EPO or Darby had cerebral palsy compared with five in the placebo mm. group. So um, that, was, um, that was a very, uh, very interesting study. And I think mm-hmm. um, they were uh, one of the first studies to show that, um, they had ha- that babies who were treated with EPO and RBPO had higher test scores for object permanence, really looking at improved early executive functions with uh, ESAs. Um, Other studies have looked at high-dose EPO and neurodevelopmental outcome, and these are actually quite interesting. So there's a a study from Switzerland by Foucher and colleagues that really randomized randomized 450 infants uh, between the gestational ages of 26 and 32 weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. And they did something interesting where they excluded babies with severe IVH, and they gave them uh, IV EPO at a dose of 3,000 units. Per kilo. Mm. Um, and they gave that dose at 3, 12, 18, 36, and 42 hours after birth. Wow.
1: That's a and dose. Babies who did, In
0: babies who did not have IVH. No, no, no. They removed. I think because they wanted to look at the long-term outcomes, they didn't want to mm. have any confounding effects with IVH. So these babies were excluded. But that's going to be an important point when we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the following study. So the primary outcome was uh, looking at the MDI on the mental, the mental index on the Bayley-2. At 24 months corrected age. And there was no significant difference in the outcomes between the two groups. Um the mean uh and the MDI in the EPO group was 93.5 and in the placebo group it was 94.5. Um so no and no differences in the secondary outcomes. And interestingly. There's another interesting study published the same year by Song and colleague, which looked similarly at the same group of patients, 26 to 32 weeks. They excluded grade 3, grade 4 IVH, and they randomized 366 infants to EPO, 377 to placebo they gave them um a, a high dose but a lower dose than the the swiss group 500 units per kilo of iv epo given every other day for 2 weeks and what they found was death or moderate to severe neurological disability uh, occurred in 27% um in the placebo group compared to 13% in the epo group and so it's it's an interesting um um It's an interesting discrepancy between these two studies, and many people have actually had arguments about whether the rates of IVH, even though the the babies were excluded at the time of randomization, the number of babies who developed IVH afterwards in those two studies could have made a difference and could explain the difference in studies. but the bottom line is that there's not uh, there's 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 some contradiction uh, especially when we're looking at different dosages so hmm. All this to say, I don't want to waste too much of your time. There's a New England Journal paper that was published in 2020 called the Peanut trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the um, Peanut trial stands for preterm erythropoietin neuroprotection trial. So this is published in 2020, and this is trying to assess what we're talking about today, the safety efficacy of early high-dose erythropoietin for neuroprotection in extremely preterm infants. This is a multi-centered Randomized double blind trial of high dose EPO that took place in, I think, 19 centers around the United Mm -hmm. States. Um, They excluded any babies with known life threatening anomalies, chromosomal anomalies, DIC, twin to twin transfusion, hematocrit above 65%, obviously, hydrops fatalis, or known congenital infections. So they give EPO or placebo within 24 hours after birth. They were being given 1,000 units per kilogram. Um, or a placebo every 48 hours for a total of six doses. And after that, the infants received subcutaneous injections at 400 units per kilo uh, or sham injections until 32 weeks and six days post menstrual age. They were all supplemented with iron and they accepted the transfusion anarchy. And I quote the paper, they said, site-specific transfusion practices were allowed. The transfusion mm-hmm. strategies used by the trial sites range from liberal to restrictive, which reflects the current lack of consensus regarding mm-hmm. guidelines for transfusion strategies. Love that. They're like, you know what the hell this? That about this. sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> you guys do whatever you want. Enough of us trying to control your transfusion protocols. Um, the primary outcome was death or severe mental impairment at 22 to 26 months post-menstrual age. Secondary outcome included death. The key secondary outcome, as they say, was death or moderate to severe mental impairment. Other um, pre-specified secondary outcomes were adverse events and death or severe mental impairment assessed according to sex. So in terms of the results, they had a total of 941 infants Four hundred and seventy seven were four hundred and seventy seven infants were enrolled in the ePO group and four hundred and sixty four in the placebo groups. Mm-hmm. their follow up rates at two years was about eighty percent in terms of death or severe neurodevelopmental impairment occurred in twenty six percent of the epo group compared to twenty six percent in the placebo group, not significant as you mm-hmm. as you would imagine. Death occurred in 13% of the Epo group compared to 11% of the placebo group. Severe northern mental impairment occurred in 11% and 14% respectively mm-hmm. between the two groups. No significant differences between groups were observed in the percentage of infants with serious adverse events or common complications of prematurity, the frequency of severe BPD, medical or surgical uh, treatment for PDA and all grades of IVH, neck and retinopathy of prematurity were similar between the two groups. And so the Mm -hmm. trial concludes by saying high-dose EPO treatment administered to extremely preterm infants from 24 hours after birth through 32 weeks did not result in a lower risk of severe NDI or death at Mm two years of age. And that pretty much is where the evidence stands right now as to whether or not we should give EPO for neuroprotection in extremely preterm infants. There's really, um, this, this data was long awaited and, and I, I'm pretty confident in saying that most people agree that there's no good reason to give it right now for the purposes of neuroprotection. But we did show that for anemia, it might be helpful, so.
1: Uh, which you know kind of kind of the elephant in the room is certainly we know that anemia in childhood is linked to worse neurodevelopmental
0: outcomes so oh and and so you as you know we've reviewed a bunch of Mm post-hoc analysis from the Mm peanut trial that has Mm -hmm. looked at the effect of transfusions on neurodevelopmental outcome the effect Mm -hmm. of iron supplementation and Mm -hmm. they've they've looked at every single thing individually and like you're saying these are highlighting the importance of all these separate also measures that are bundled in these interventions that are with EPO that um, yeah are very important from a neuromental standpoint okay okay so then moving on to the mm-hmm. to the second the second uh this point of discussion which it's not going to be it's not going to be long don't worry which is the studies of EPO for neuroprotection in term infants. Mm-hmm. so it's kind of nuts when you, again, it's one of these things where you have to, to read this carefully because the initial studies. did. You, I'll see if you know that, if you knew this stuff, maybe you did. But anyway, I did not, honestly speaking. So the initial studies for neuroprotection using EPO in term infants with HIE were performed on infants who were not cooled. Right. So they compared. Right. It was
1: a, it was a, like if you uh, if you didn't get cooled, could we at least do something for you?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a trial from China published in 2009, and it's interesting because the authors in that trial say by Zhu or Zhao. I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing. Um, um, that basically said, "Hey, we we cooling is not like readily available uh, where we're mm-hmm, practicing, so mm-hmm. we're comparing nothing to or or regular supportive care to EPO." And so they randomized 167 term infants with moderate to severe HIE to either conventional treatment or EPO given at 300 units per kilo uh, in 52 infants or 500 units per kilo in 31 infants. So they they tried two different dosages, obviously, every other day for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, The um, first dose was administered subcutaneously. Subsequent doses were given IV. And uh, in the control group, 44% had moderate to severe disability or death at 18 months compared with 25% in the EPO group. The primary outcomes were similar with both EPO doses. In infants with moderate to severe HIE, the response to EPO was actually, and that's not comparable in that trial, with the response to therapeutic hypothermia reported in previous trials, i.e. our Shankaran. Uh, study in that an overall twenty percent decrease in death or disability was identified. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was not mm-hmm. aware of that. Mind blown. Mm-hmm. Um, similar results of improved outcomes in terms in term infants receiving EPO without therapeutic hypothermia were reported in other studies too. There's mm-hmm. a I guess a a, a cool study. And intended from mm-hmm. Egypt that actually performed a head to head comparison of Ipo and therapeutic hypothermia um, for and comparing short term outcomes. They, uh, this is a study by El Shimi and colleague published in 2014. And they enrolled uh, 45 infants, 30 were randomized to receive supportive care, and uh, 10 infants received therapeutic hypothermia mm-hmm. or uh, a single dose of. Subcutaneous EPO and 15 were healthy, uh non-asphyxiated infants. I hope I made I hope I hope that made sense. Mm-hmm. Let me just I think I, I'm not making sense, but I'm gonna say it again. 10 infants got EPO, 10 infants received uh hypothermia, and uh, 10 infants received uh supportive care, and then they had another group of 15, which were just like mm-hmm. term like controls control. Yeah. Uh, what they found was survival was 60% in the therapeutic hypothermia group, 30% in the EPO group, 20% in the supportive care group. Uh, and MRI score and neuromuscular function scores were similar in the hypothermia and EPO groups. So, so survival, so cooling wins on survival.
1: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: okay. So, I think this is interesting that these studies are out there. And again, I think it's also important for us to highlight the fact that you could read these studies and miss the fact that they're not cooling some of these kids because mm-hmm. now it's become such a no brainer. Of course, you cool that. Of Right. Care, yeah. Moderate to severe HIE, you cool. But no. So, obviously, the question that we want to answer is. EPO and hypothermia versus hypothermia alone, right? I mean, that's really Mm -hmm. a more relevant question at this point now that therapeutic hypothermia is really the the standard of practice. Um, So there's a very uh, interesting study that I think has become the reference by Wu and colleagues published Mm -hmm. in 2016, um, I forgot which journal, I'll reference that in the, in the, in the website, where they raised, basically randomized 50 term infants with moderate to severe HIE undergoing therapeutic hypothermia to either receive placebo or IV hypo, given at a dose of 1,000 units per kilo on day one, two, three, five, and 7. Infants were evaluated at 12 months using an infant motor scale and a parent developmental questionnaire. MRI findings were independently scored by uh, observers blinded to the treatment arms. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the outcomes were obviously very interesting. There was no difference in neonatal mortality, uh, 8% versus 19%. The brain MRI at uh, a mean um, of five days showed a lower global brain injury score in mm-hmm. the EPO-treated neonates. Uh, Moderate to severe brain injury, um, subcortical and cerebellar injury were less frequent in the EPO compared to the placebo groups, and those numbers were pretty impressive. At 12 months of age, there was significant improvement in the Alberta infant motor scale score, which is what they used, but no difference in the uh, Warner initial developmental evaluation score. So some improvement there, but not consistent across all the different methods that they were uh, using. The composite outcome of death or moderate to severe neurodevelopmental impairment was not different between the groups. And there was a trend in reduction in severity of brain injury on MRI at 12 months of age in the EPO group. And I think this paper really is the paper that has driven a lot of us and a lot of uh, other institutions to, to use EPO uh, because the side effects are really Minimal. There's really very rarely any issues, and and the benefits, even if small, are there. And so, there's a 2018 uh, meta-analysis uh, that was published in the Journal of Maternal, Fetal, and Neonatal Medicine that looked at neurodevelopmental outcomes by uh, a variety of val- validated tools. Up to uh, 24 months of age, they were able to identify nine studies, 170 babies, and they did confirm through the meta-analysis that uh, ESA's improved neurodevelopmental outcome uh, over therapeutic hypothermia alone, meaning ESA's and hypothermia over therapeutic hypothermia alone. Now, this I, I don't want to do a summary of the stuff that we went over when it comes to this specific topic of therapeutic hypothermia and uh and ipo because there are a lot of ongoing trials mm-hmm. that will be uh i think published very soon mm-hmm. some of them have completed and we're just waiting for we're just waiting for their uh for their results these include the Heal trial the payin trial mm-hmm. the naripo trial the manda trial and um yeah, so so um, I think once these these studies come out, we may be able to do an update episode mm-hmm. on the use of EPO for neuroprotection. Um, but yeah, so in preterm infants, there's really no uh, good evidence right now based on the peanut data to begin EPO for neuroprotection alone, and in term infants, there is uh, there is interesting data supporting the, uh, the use of EPO with therapeutic hypothermia, uh, especially when you're combining all these different outcome measures, both short-term and medium-term at about 12 months. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, I, and that's another um, gap in study. We know, you know, we talk about gaps in study with our, uh, with our expert, Dr. Ohls, later this week. But um, looking at, you know, the preterm infant after IVH, right? So many of those babies are excluded, but given what we know about kind of the neuronal potential of, of, you know, innate erythropoietin, um, looking at it, uh, like we are in HIE after brain injury. And then in the preterm infant who has suffered a hypoxic ischemic insult, but we're not cooling, right? Because they don't meet criteria Mm -hmm. because
0: they're too too small
1: too small too
0: early yeah there's been so. a lot of there's again we've saved you we've saved you <laughs> the 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 intricacies of all these papers that are arguing whether the administration of EPO er- mm-hmm. could not be affecting IVH rates and could the reduction potentially in IVH rate because early EPO is administered could that be improving long-term outcomes um, there's not enough data to make a case mm-hmm. for for anything there um, but feel free to go and dig around if you want. <laughs> but uh there's but, because there's some again, some discussions based on these initial Cochrane reviews that we mentioned yesterday. In any case, 25 yeah, minutes. And
1: really after. looking forward to um seeing these other trials come out. So
0: yeah. All right. Okay. See you. Uh to, to ch- definitely tune in for tomorrow. Dr. Robin Olls is is coming on the show, explain shedding light on a few of these uh of these controversies. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, to stay tuned. Thank you, Daphna. Bye buddy. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to podcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.